confident to say our hearts have probably been encouraged along many lines, both by testimony, prayer, and music this morning, and certainly um, the Word of God will encourage our hearts once again. I, I think we're, we're all in need of some voices of encouragement in these last several weeks, aren't we? Uh, with all that's going on in our personal lives and really in our, in our world, um, more layers of encouragement, the better. And this morning, as we continue to study the book of Romans, specifically the eighth chapter, uh, we will receive a few more layers of encouragement but probably from a source that you would never expect to get encouragement from. So let's read these verses beginning in verse 19. As we stated the last two times we were together, verse 18 is really the springboard verse to this next little paragraph of truth for us that speaks again to the security we have given to us by the Spirit of God because we are in Christ Jesus. The assurance and spiritual security that we have given to us by the Spirit of God as we are in Christ Jesus. We learned from verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing, this is where our text will begin this morning, through verse 25, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to the futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. We're going to be encouraged through the voice of creation this morning. The voice of creation. How many of you are familiar with Psalm 19 and the first few verses of that text, verses 1 to 6? The heavens do what? They declare the glory of God. The Bible says even the night skies in that text show forth the knowledge of God and they speak of his greatness. We know from what we saw in Romans chapter 1 uh, and verse 20, uh, Paul even says in this book that we've been studying this year, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, speaking of God, have been clearly seen, according to David in Psalm 19, also clearly heard, being understood through what has been made so that all men are left without excuse. Creation has a loud voice, doesn't it? I know Paul speaks here metaphorically, but clearly. Uh, it is the spirit of God's intention for us to receive some words of encouragement from creation. 
this morning. Now, before we move on to hearing from the words of creation, uh, let's identify some specifics about this passage. So if you're a note taker and you're a detail kind of person, we'll help you uh, understand the passage better and will help us more efficiently unpack uh, its truth and identify the specific ways in which creation speaks encouragement to us about the security we have in Christ. Let me tell you, first of all, what this passage is not about. Right? This passage is not about immaterial created things. What do we know about that? Well, it's not about angels solidified in creature holiness or fallen. It's not about fallen angels leader, Satan himself. It's not about mankind in general who have yet to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And really, verses 19 to 22 are really not specifically about us yet until we are directly addressed in verses 23 to 25. So what we're going to find out here is that non-rational created order has a message to speak to us. Non-rational created order has a message to speak to us. And it's an encouraging message. And so it's, I find it unique that the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he writes, obviously, is going to emphasize to us what we see, though it's not living or breathing as we are, though it cannot cogitate and think and contemplate like we can, it grasps truth and speaks that truth. And since non-rational created order can do that, how much more we who are rational and created and recreated in Christ Jesus, should we embrace the truth of the information given in this text? If a tree can do it, <laughs> so you can. And when my dad used to tell me, Tim, sometimes you're just as dumb as a box of rocks, right? <laughs> right? Now I take encouragement from this text that those rocks had some pretty encouraged things, things to say. <laughs> okay. All right. I want you to notice, secondly, the word for in our context. We saw it in verse 18, carrying over the thought from the previous text that we discovered and unstudied together. We get down to verse 19, that thought's considered, continued again with the word for. Uh, you'll see the word for again in verse 20, letting us know that that strain of thought is continuing for us. And it continues through verse 21, and then in verse 22, there's another four. And that continues the thought along the lines of the non-rational, immaterial, created order has another message to tell us. By the time we get to verse 23, we'll see a stoppage of a sentence at the end of verse 22 and the beginning of a new sentence in verse 23 that helps us understand that we're switching gears here. And there's some practical application that is for us as believers that we need to... Um, appropriate in our lives for what we've just heard from creation that cannot think and contemplate and speak as we do. So we're going to have some things to learn from creation and then practically some things to apply from creation. 
I want us to notice here also, and you probably did already when we read these short verses, that the word groan is used twice. We'll find it next week in our study about the Holy Spirit's ministry to us of assurance and security. He also groans. This word is only used three times in the whole letter that Paul wrote to the book of Romans. And it's used all three times, obviously, here in chapter 8. It's only used six other times in the whole of the New Testament. One of those times was in Stephen's sermon that he preached the afternoon that he was stoned and martyred for the cause of Christ in Acts chapter 7. And he uses that word in relationship to Old Testament Israel that was held captive in Egypt. And their goal was to be released from bondage. And boy, while they were in bondage to Egypt, didn't they groan. <laughs> there was a lot to groan about and to agonize over under the tyranny of Egypt. But faithful Israel would have believed the promises that God had given them. And they would have lived in the, under the tyranny of Egypt faithfully only because of the promises that they believed that were to come. That's the idea of groaning here as we see it twice this week and once next. There's a goal to be achieved. It's a glorious goal. There's a glorious hope. There's glorious promises to not just be known now, but experienced later. And they're as sure as our salvation is sure in Jesus Christ. And it's those things that help us persevere now. So creation can groan. And we groan. The Spirit of God groans for us in light of promises in the Word we'll study next week. But I just want to highlight what that word is as you've read it and what it means because as we go through the outline now of the text, it'll help you more appropriately understand and apply the text. The next thing I want you to know about these verses that we just read is this. There are, syn there are synonymous phrases used to describe Christians in the text. Once we are called the sons of God, and another time, as you've read, we are called the children of God. Paul says that creation is confident about the promises made to us. So if non-rational creation is confident about God's promises to us, how much more should we be? Now, let's go through a brief outline of this text uh, as we move forward. I want you to understand three truths about creation in this text. First of all, I'd like for you to discover with me uh, the, the condition of creation. The current condition of creation. I understand that we're giving life to non-rational created order, but our second point uh, is simply this. What is the concentration? What is, what is creation concentrating upon? So it's condition, it's concentration, and then finally, it's contentment. It's contentment. We're going to find out from non-rational created order what is our condition, what should we be concentrating on, 
And then how do we learn contentment from her? As we move forward this morning. Before we get into describing the brief way in which the condition of the creative order uh, currently is, I want to remind us of some promises of security that we've already come to enjoy in chapter 8. We know from chapter 8 and verse 1, and we've studied this together, there's a declared statement of no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we came to know that there's a certain understanding of the way in which the Holy Spirit works on our hearts. We, are underst we understand very, very clearly what it means to be adopted by the Spirit into the family of God. We were assured even the last two weeks we were together that even suffering various degrees of affliction in the name of Christ assures our hearts and encourages our hearts that we're secure in Jesus Christ. Because people who don't know Jesus don't suffer for his namesake. So if you do, you're a child. And now he's going to layer another aspect of creation, another aspect of encouragement and security. It's going to come from created order, which should even uh, solidify more <laughs> our confidence that we're children. In other words, Paul is saying, if you can learn these lessons from a plant, from the solar system, from everything that you see that has color, if you can learn these lessons and apply these lessons, these truths and lessons to your heart, then you're a child of God. If you sit here this morning and you say, I can't do that, I don't think God's created order has anything to say to me. As a matter of fact, I don't even believe that God's creator. Well, then all Paul is trying to say to you is he's not writing this letter to you. We love you, but this letter's not to you. And that may be okay for this moment, but it might not be okay for your next moment because you certainly don't want to leave this earth without being in Christ. So understanding these things... Let's find out if your heart resonates with the truth of what creation's trying to tell you. And we'll try to keep it as simple as that. In verse 20, we're told that we already read, the condition of creation is first described as being subjected to futility. Because of him who subjected it. The him here in this text is God himself. God subjected all of his created order to futility. What does that word futility mean? It has the connotation of kind of uselessness or always striving to be something that it cannot be. Always striving to be something that it cannot be in perfection. In other words, she's always trying, but always failing, but she's never going to stop trying. This is the condition of creation. Cross-reference in the margin of your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. We won't go there because of time, but I'll read this. This is the Edenic curse. This is what God spoke to Moses to write about what happened the moment that, the world, that sin came into the world. We know how we were affected, mankind was affected, but how was terra firma? How was the environment? How was the cosmos affected? Moses wrote, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil... God says to Adam, you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. 
By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. But I find here the definition of the word futility right in this one particular phrase that says both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and and you will eat the plants of the field. So there seems to be something positive and something negative here. And it seems to be this is the futility of the created order influenced by sin until the revelation of God's people to the earth. We'll discuss a little bit. How many of you are gardeners? How many of you love to garden? You're raising your hand because you love it. How many of you have ever planted a garden that you could leave to itself to grow without weeds coming? Anybody? Oh, I didn't think so. That's the idea of the word futility here. This is, this, this is the condition of our current world. Because it's created by God, it can grow. And it can give us things to eat. But it will always be adversely affected by what Moses says here. Thorns and thistles, it shall also grow for you. Always trying to be glorious in its perfection, but always relegated to a lack of complete fulfillment because of the effects of sin. It goes on in verse 21 to say that it's slavery to corruption. We read that early. It's, it's slavery to corruption. Every spring, um, and boy, we love spring around here, don't we? After living through four to six months of the cold, gray, seemingly lifeless environment of winter, uh, we love warmth and the beauty that spring offers. It's almost like creation is trying to recreate itself. It's trying to push forth out of death, <laughs> of winter, life and beauty until we come to pumpkin spice land, the fall, <laughs> right? And in pumpkin spice land, what do we find out, right? We're headed back towards winter and we like everything hot and warm and spicy. And the only reason we like pumpkin spice, lattes or fettuccine or whatever, is to solace our hearts during the death of winter, <laughs> right? So even in, in God's created order, the fall of man created a fall of man into sin created a futility for the world, and it's slave. It, 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 the world is a slave to death. It cannot help itself, but to rebirth itself, only to lose itself, only to know it's dead. So even the seasons demonstrate for us not just the faithfulness of God, but the condition of the created order fallen under sin. It's condemned. This is the condition. It's condemned. It's made a slavery to corruption. Verse 22 furthers the description of the condition of creation. It groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So in all three phrases of its describing its condition, I want us to notice there's threads of this word futility. It tries, it succeeds, it fails, it dies. It tries, it succeeds, it fails, it dies. 
It's interesting here that the apostle Paul says that it groans, we understand what that means from the introduction, and suffers the pains of childbirth. Now, I would never seek to be um, intellectually dishonest <laughs> by trying to describe to you the pains of childbirth. I will leave that to women who have experienced it. But there's something about creation when it tries to push forth its own life. And God has created into her the, the, the ability to push forth its own life. There is something joyous about that. There's something that's, and I gotta be very, very careful how I say this. I'm assuming every lady here believes that the birth of a healthy child was worth the pain that you went through for a short time. I'm, maybe there's one of two of your children that you're thinking, yeah, 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 I don't know. You know? But for most, of us, for most of you ladies, from what I've heard, not from, from what I've heard, you're pretty excited about the fruit of the pain. All right, now. But what does the Bible say the natural state of man is? We appear for a little while, we're like a vapor and we pass away. The psalmist tells us that really, if we get to three score and 10, if we live to 70 years old, we've lived a full life. Even, even the Bible tells us that the fallen created human order has a shelf life, physically, physically. It has a shelf life. There are some environmentalists out there that would tell us, boy, if we just removed mankind from the earth, that the earth would be able to be a glorious, self-perpetuating, beautiful place. And some have even said that. We're the issue. We're the problem. So just annihilate the human race and Mother Earth will flourish. But what is the condition of the what does the condition of the earth from our text tell us? That even if you removed mankind from the planet, the earth certainly would be subjected to futility because who subjected her? Her creator did. What he spoke into order will be until a time to come. It will always be slavery to the corruption that's caused by sin. And it will always be groaning from the pains of childbirth. So that's the condition of creation. But even in this condition, what does non-rational creation tell us that it concentrates upon? Let's look at its concentration. We've had the opportunity to take our, our children, and some of you might not consider it an opportunity, and I would just ask you to be patient with the illustration and to not allow this illustration to distract you from the content of the message, similar to my, my Instaflex illustration last week did. Uh, by the way, I'm proud to tell you that vitamin supplement that I told you to get, uh, I'm now gonna be able to pay off the whole building program <laughs> from royalties given to me by that company as you all went out and emptied the shelves of local drugstores last week. They called me to thank me. It was an epic fail illustration in a sermon. I hope you didn't lose the content of the joyful truth of Romans 8.18 last week. <laughs> but hopefully this illustration won't do the same. Have you ever taken your children to a parade that they were excited to be uh, there and see it? Right. Um, 
Some of the best parades that I've ever seen, regardless of how you agree or disagree with the company, is at the Magic Kingdom, Walt, Dis Walt Disney World. And when our kids were little, every day at 3 o'clock, they put on the same parade. And, and, it, and it's, it, it is a glorious thing to behold. And at night, they have something called the Electric Light Parade. And it, that is also, I think, even more amazing to behold, to see what man can create. Um, and I, I can remember our, little, our, our kids... Uh, even though they were on the, the, the front row on the side of the street anticipating that parade to come and then the music would start and they would get more excited even though they could hear the music but not see the parade. And I can remember them, all of them standing up off the curb, right, and leaning over on the curb on their tiptoes, stretching their neck as far as they could see down the street because they heard the music but they hadn't seen the first float yet, right? Let's go back to verse 19. And let's understand what it means for creation to stand on her tiptoes. It says here, what lesson can we learn from how she concentrates? For the anxious longing of the creation. There it is. That's what the word anxious longing means. It means to, with great intense anticipation, stand on your tiptoes. Anticipate something that's glorious to come. Creation concentrates. It goes on to say that it also waits eagerly. That's the next phrase, isn't it? You see that? Waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What is this word waits eagerly? I'll try to give you a, another illustration that kind of describes creation's concentration here. When I was in South Africa at the end of July, um, often you would see walking on the side of streets, which I never anticipated in Johannesburg or the outskirts of Johannesburg, uh, ladies who were skilled at carrying large objects on their heads. Uh, and these were goods necessary for their home. What I was told, and I don't know if this is true or not, the person, I'm assuming it is because of the person who was riding in the car with me had been there for quite some time. They said that a woman is skilled enough to carry three times her natural weight on her head without the use of her hands. So when you're, when you're driving and you're seeing these ladies walking, uh, it's, it, it is amazing to see not just the size of the objects, but understand sometimes the weight of that object, and they're able to keep walking without stumbling. It's, a, it's an amazing skill. But it's a skill, I guess, from what I've been told uh, from my friends there, that they've been learning since they were little girls. So it's really no big deal for them. So my question, which they couldn't answer, was, if it could be up to three times their natural weight, who in the world's picking it up and putting it on their head? <laughs> uh, to which they didn't have an answer for me. But nonetheless, there was, there was this walk and this large weight. That's what the idea of weight uh, eagerly is. It's to function consistently under heavy pressure. So think about the combination of this concentration. Earth, the cosmos, on its tiptoes is eagerly anticipating and enduring under the great weight of the effects of its condition. And it's walking, listen to me, remember we're going to learn from creation, it's walking consistently under the duress of the condition of the fall. 
with great anticipation. I call that intense concentration. This is what non-rational, created order can do and is doing. So again, if she can do it, how about us? How about us? Now let's learn of creation's contentment. Let's learn of creation's contentment. We mentioned gardening earlier, and I know that you tend to those weeds, and you tend to that soil, and you tend to those emerging plants from the soil because you're looking forward to the harvest. And that's why we do it. Isn't that true? Even now as we come into harvest time, you're, you're beginning to enjoy around your dinner table much of the fruit of your labor. And, and this, is, this is, with that understanding of enjoyment of the fruit of your labor, this is the mindset, if you will, of creation. In other words, creation knows because of the promises given to the sons of men, to the children of God, creation knows because of the glory that we will know. What we achieve gloriously in the person of Christ, now we will achieve, as we've already studied the last couple weeks, gloriously practically in the presence of Christ. Be but creation, because of what they know is coming with our own glory, creation saying, folks, believe me, it's worth the wait. It's worth the harvest of the realization of these glorious promises that will be revealed. This is the contentment of creation. Where do we see the contentment described in these verses? I want you to, uh, if you believe in taking notes, clarify this contentment with three words. Just remember contentment along the lines of three words today. Identification, affliction, and glorification. Identification, affliction, and glorification. And if you want to add a word in front of each word, each of those words, I would say initial identification, perseverance in affliction, and then eventual glorification. Initial identification, perseverance in affliction, and then eventual glorification. The second part of verse 19 tells us what creation is eagerly awaiting what it's anxiously longing for. It is the revealing of the sons of God. That's you and me. And I've often wondered, when is that? Well, we know it has to be a future time because of the context of language we've already described. But we know it's not now because we're already here. So when will this be? How long does creation have to wait for the revealing of the sons of God? I believe this is twofold as we understand the scriptures. I believe the, the creation is anxiously awaiting the rapture of the church and then the return of the church for the millennial kingdom. It says it here. They're anxiously waiting. The, what does it say? The what? The revealing, the revealing. Study that word on your own time. But it's an interesting word specifically used within this context. 
there's a kind of a dual revelation of who God's people are. You know, the Bible says that the world really doesn't know us because it doesn't know Christ. Remember John's words? The world doesn't know us because it doesn't know Christ. So how in the world is the world going to know who we are? Well, they're going to know through our own witness, through the character of our living now. But this text is revealing in the future, how in the world is the world going to be able to know who we are? How will we be revealed? Well, but the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ was to happen before this sermon was over. There's going to be many of you who are not going to be returning to your neighborhoods ever. The revelation is first passive before it's active. In other words, you're going to be identified. You are going to be revealed first by the lack of your presence. And then the active revelation is going to come at the onset or when Christ initializes his kingdom on earth, the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ, where we will rule with him. And my goodness, as that's described in the book of Revelation, that's quite an entrance back to the earth, isn't it? So you're passively revealed through the parousia, the snatching away, and then you're actively revealed on earth. And what's the cosmos doing? It's eagerly waiting. It's anxiously anticipating those moments. It's continued to, to be willing to bear up under the pressure of its condition because of what it knows is coming. What else does it say here? The latter part of verse 20 and the first part of verse 21. In hope that creation itself will be set free from slavery beyond the snatching away of the church beyond our grand entrance into the millennial kingdom. There's something that's going to happen. Second Peter chapter 3, Revelation 20 and 21 describes for us. Think about this. Creation is waiting for its own destruction and for its own renewal. And my, by the way, rewind the tape just for a second. Isn't it wonderful that creation's able to exist with perseverance and it hasn't been released from the bondage of its sin yet but we have been haven't we we've been released from the power and the penalty of sin and someday the presence of sin and we're found out here that the earth is eagerly awaiting that moment when she it will be relieved released from the actual presence of sin in a new created order She's longing for the day, the last part of verse 21, to enjoy the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's waiting anxiously to enjoy that state of perfection and the enjoyment of the presence of its creator for all of eternity. It remains content it remains content. Lessons learned. The condition, the concentration, the contentment. So for us as we close this morning, the voice of creation has been heard. How do we respond? If, if you're a believer, remember, you'll respond. You'll listen to the creation sermon today. 
Paul is actually saying that if we let the voice and the focus and the disposition of creation speak and be heard, this is what our response will be as we see it in verses 23 to 25. So just by way of conclusion this morning, I'd like to examine a few blessings of our response. The sermon's been preached, and here's God's divine altar call, if you will. And we're assuming that all those who are of faith have heard and have been convicted and want to obey. Now, how do we obey? Twice, once in verse 23 and once in verse 25, as we've already read, we will also bring ourselves to anxiously long. Get on your tiptoes, friends. The best is yet to come, our former pastor used to say all the time. The best is yet to come. Do you remain on your tiptoes? Do you anxiously long? Well, are you eagerly waiting? Are you willing to persevere under the pressure? What does it say there at the end of verse 25? With perseverance, we wait eagerly. We endure faithfully under the pressure of our own fallen sinful condition and the fallen condition of the cosmos around us because of sin. That's a big weight to bear, isn't it? I mean, for all of us spiritually, that's definitely three times more our natural weight. Think about that. Has your own sinful condition caused you to stumble? Has the guilt from your own sinful activity compelled you to feel like there really is no more walking with God for you? It can be a heavy weight. Can it? Even if you are faithfully walking with God, the various kinds of trials and afflictions come, weight us down. But if we go back to last week, if we're walking with God, in time, maturity would bring us to considering them as light as a feather compared to the eternal anvil of the glory of God. <laughs> so anyways... Are you on your tiptoes? Are we, are we persevering well in affliction? Paul tells us here that if we are, that we're really going to be enjoying and we are knowing the first fruits of the Spirit. Do you remember that phrase? The church remains the people on earth that has been assured the realities of Christ, the promises of God, because of the adoption of the Spirit. I really believe that the first fruits of the Spirit is the Spirit of God Himself. So the one who has drawn us to God in Christ, the one who has adopted us to God in Christ, the one that has sealed us unto the day of redemption in Christ, this omnipotent one, the Spirit of God, He is our harvest <laughs> he's ours and since he's God and now he's ours all that God has promised to the son and to the spirit he's promised to us all that he's promised to the non-rational created order he's granted to us 
And he cannot help himself but follow through with what he's promised. Because he's Jehovah. He's a God that keeps his promises. So yes, we'll groan. And we'll willingly groan, won't we? A lot of times when we hear the word groan, it's like, oh, we got to do this again. That's not the groaning that was described earlier, though, if you'll remember. The groaning described earlier was, I'm willing to endure the hardship because I know the promise is coming. It says here that we are to practically apply from this sermon from creation the reality of the finality of the adoption of sons. You'll see, you saw that here. So why in the world is adoption of sons here? Because we already talked about adoption earlier. You have to understand in the Greco-Roman world, there were two phases of adoption. There was the legal phase and then the enjoyment phase. The legal phase was exactly what it was. It was a legal phase and we're all placed into the same equal um, blessings as co-heirs with our new family. We, we discussed all that before. But there was an enjoyment phase. And that enjoyment phase was after the legal phase, you could actually bring your new child to the public sector and say, this is what's happened behind closed doors in the judges' chambers. And by the way, this is my child. This is my child. There's something about the identification of the revealing of the sons of men, both in the snatching away and the coming, the active side for the coming of the kingdom, where God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, is going to be able to say, see, these were my kids all along. And I'm proud of them. Because I'm proud of my son. These are my kids. And I've pulled them away from this old earth, and now we've come back to reign. But it's not done yet. This is what we apply. If non-rational creation can understand its condition and concentrate and be content, certainly based on these glorious promises, we should be as well. The legal side's been taken care of. The announcement side, it's coming. cross-reference here in the margin of your Bible first that would be really cool if all that could commence today <laughs> first Thessalonians 5 verses 1 to 5 when it talks about our salvation from this earth it's not positional it's the it's the practical and then he finishes the way I will finish today, since it's 11.34.5. Remember what it says, um, if I can see through my glasses here. For, look at verse 24. For in hope we have been saved. Study this out on your own time. From what I understand from the grammar here, there's no difference in the Apostle Paul's mind between hope and salvation. He's saying hope is salvation and salvation is hope. If you're saved... This hope is as secure for you as your salvation. So it's not a hope that we would understand, humanly speaking. 
Since God saves you, God keeps you. Since you can't save yourself, you're not responsible to keep yourself. God saves you and you work with God according to his word to grow into Christ's likeness to be sure. But salvation is hope and hope is salvation. So he goes on to just further clarify what he stated in the first part of that verse. If you're gonna hope in what you see, you're not getting it yet. That's not what it's about. For you can hope in what you see, that's not hope. Verse 25 says, but if we hope for what we do not see, that's where we learn to walk with patience and endure and get on our tiptoes and groan on those tiptoes as we await our future glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. So much truth, so much assurance, so much security, so much joy brought to our hearts. This is a sermon from your word, but a sermon from your created order that we need to apply. And Lord, it's, it's an immense joy to our hearts to know the certainty of who we are in Christ by the help of the Spirit as we listen to even how the earth responds, how the earth waits for that which has been promised to us. So Lord, as we move forward, I know this um, pastor behind this box struggles intensely with so many practical things and I know sheep of this flock struggle with greater intensity with a much more myriad kind of affliction I pray that today by help of the spirit applying this message from creation that our individual hearts would be encouraged by understanding we've been freed from our condition, concentrating with eager anticipation on why and how we can be content in relationship to waiting for those promises that are certain to come. I pray today, Lord, that we will certainly leave much more joyful than when we first came today based on the scripture. In Christ's name we pray, amen.